This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The impact of the coronavirus pandemic could be long-lasting. Expectations are that future earnings of kids right now in elementary school could be significantly lower due to virtual schooling, maybe as much as 10 to 11%. And the higher levels come from inner-city schools. A new report by the Penn Wharton Budget Model, using Philadelphia-area schools as an example, explains this impact. Efrem Berkovich is a Director of Computational Dynamics for the Penn Wharton Budget Model and joins us with more. Efrem, great to talk to you again. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me on again. Thank you. So lay this out for us. What were you, what were you, uh, what were you focusing on? So this report is uh, the latest, I'd say, in this uh, series of studies that we've been doing uh, for the last, uh, you know, I guess, six months or so on the effect of school closures on uh, children's education. So what we did for this one, as you said, was we looked at uh, the Philadelphia area, and what we wanted to see was the effect that different levels of school openness are having on the education of of the kids there. Uh, So what we found is that uh, there's differences that we see between uh, different districts, um, but the big difference seems to be between suburban and urban schools. Uh, so Philadelphia schools have been closed uh, to in-person learning pretty much since the beginning, uh, whereas the suburban schools have opened up uh, a bit. Um, and by looking at the demographic composition of each school district, we're able to calculate the amount of in-person learning that uh, kids of different groups effectively receive. Uh, so the the concern really is that uh, – Studies, especially more recent studies, have shown that virtual learning is just not as effective as in-person learning, uh, and specifically for things like math skills. So there are some studies, in fact, uh, and we, we use the, the literature on this, that uh, show that basically in-person learning uh, versus virtual learning, virtual learning gives you almost no improvement in, in math skills. So... If we think that in the future, the kind of jobs that the world and the U.S. economy are going to be creating are more technical and knowledge-based jobs, then these kids that are missing out on um, their education are going to uh, lose out on being able to get these higher-paying jobs. We're joined by Efren Berkovich of the Penn Wharton Budget Model, and, and when you're thinking about Longer term, that really has been, and I've thought about it as a parent. I know a lot of other people have of just the general impact of having students doing their schoolwork from home and maybe not being as connected with the teachers as they would be in in person. That's exactly right, Dan. And what we see uh, in terms of the studies that are coming out is that the home environment makes a huge difference, and that is going to have, again, a differential impact on who is being harmed by these school closure policies. So higher-income students uh, and higher-performing students pretty much aren't, aren't hurt very much. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not great for them, but uh, the pain really isn't there. There was a study that came out of the Fairfax school system uh, in, uh, in Virginia, which is one of the, you know, the wealthier 
counties in, in the U.S. Uh, and even there, uh, you know, what they found was that the lower-performing students stopped being engaged, uh, dropped out, and you could see it in their grades. So the, the ones that really need the in-person time are the ones who are not getting it. So the, the value that's lost through this report uh, from these school kids, uh, it, it appears that it's multiple times worse than what could be lost when the flu is factored in. Uh, right. So what we tried to, have to do from the very beginning was frame the, the question of how do you make a good policy decision about reopening schools? Um, and to do that, well, what we do is we calculate uh, as best we can the cost that we think is imposed on students, uh, and this study is an attempt to do that as well. Uh, but on the, the side of the harm from opening the schools, we have tried to estimate the cost of a new COVID infection. And uh, when COVID first came out in the, uh, you know, and hit the country in the spring, the, um, the higher level mortality, uh, the uncertainty about it, uh, really, I think at that point, the swung the bar towards being more cautious in terms of reopening schools. So we had an estimate of uh, about, I think, $300,000 or so for the cost of every new infection. Uh, what we see now, as doctors have gotten better at treating COVID, mortality has gone down, we've been better at containing the spread, our most recent estimate for January is that the cost of a new COVID infection is something on the order of $40,000. And just uh, as a comparison, using other studies that people have done, uh, the average cost of a flu infection is about uh, $5,000. So it gives policymakers a way to try to balance the cost of uh, New, new COVID infections versus uh, the cost that we're imposing on our children. Uh, and if we look at the study that we did now, where we tried to see in dollar terms, uh, you know, what, are, what, what is this costing kids? So, you know, if, if you ballpark it, that the average kid uh, in terms of net present value is going to make, say, $1.2 million mm -hmm. uh, in their lifetime, and, you know, you take off, say, 10%, and obviously it you know, as, as we show in our study, it matters, uh, you know, whether you're in the younger grades right now, um, you know, your socioeconomic group, but let's just ballpark it at 10%. We're talking about $120,000 that uh, this person is going to lose in that present value from this year of lost learning. That's a large amount, uh, you know, of future pain that we're imposing, uh, I think, on our children and on our economy as well, because these kids are not going to be as productive. Well, and then Ephraim, I think you can multiply that out even farther is that it would have an impact on their retirement savings as well. Absolutely. This, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that uh, is long lasting and it percolates uh, for decades to come. Uh, so that's uh, one of the things we're going to be trying to looking at next is uh, to use our models to see what some of these long run economic impacts will be for the country, not just for the, the kids individually. So th this study, as we mentioned, we're talking with Efren Berkovich of the Penn Wharton Budget Model. This study specifically was looking at, at Philadelphia, the Philadelphia area, the suburbs versus the, uh, the urban schools. And I would imagine while this research doesn't directly go to that point, but you could correlate some of this out 
to the differences between cities and suburbs in other parts of the country as well? Yes, I think um, you're absolutely, or at least <laughs> I, I hope that you're right. Um, there, you know, Philadelphia is a case study, but we, you know, we looked at 63 different school districts across four counties in the suburbs. Uh, we have the big city of Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia, in some sense, uh, you know, can be thought of as, as representative. We're not a, you know, we're not a giant city, uh, but right. we're not, uh, you know, we're right there in the middle. Uh, and presumably what the dynamics that are playing out in terms of policy choices that are playing out in Philadelphia are playing out across the country as well. So the suburbs yeah. have tended to be more open. Uh, the cities have tended to be more closed. Uh, we ideally would like to look at some rural districts as well. And, I mean, one of the, the things that I think was striking for me to find in the suburbs was the suburbs show actually very little difference uh, in terms of openness across uh, both different economic groups uh, and uh, different racial groups. Yeah. Uh, so meaning that, uh, you know, these suburbs are not as diverse as, as the whole country, but there is some diversity. We have, you know, poor districts, uh, more wealthy districts. They're all approximately 20% open on average. Uh, and when you look at the cities, which for whatever reason have been substantially more closed, uh, that's where you get the big differences. Um, yeah. So you, you don't really see the income and racial differences in openness out in the suburbs. It's really coming from the city and uh, non-city divide, I would say. Well, one of the things you, you bring up is uh, how test scores vary uh, in many of these instances, and, and especially along ethnic lines. Right. So, you, you know, we, we didn't want to um, – and – you know, we're, we're, this is not our primary research, um, so we didn't dive into the, the differences that um, are driving some of these scores. We're looking at uh, really just what are the different groups scoring initially. Uh, you know, the literature reviews it. We, we take that as given. And our focus really has been to look at the measured openness of the schools and then compare that against our models, which – forecast, uh, you know, at the individual level, what we would expect in terms of earnings for different uh, types of people. Um, so the, all of these other things that you're referring to in terms of uh, differences that exist uh, because of, uh, you know, uh, either racial or socioeconomic situations are, are being exacerbated. Um, so, you know, our, our study here does not show what the differential effects are other than Let's look to see who's coming to school, who's missing out on in-person learning. Right. And we're joined by Efren Berkovich of the Penn Wharton Budget Model. And, and, and unfortunately for a lot of these kids, uh, this lost time that they have, it's not something that unfortunately will be recouped quickly within the schools themselves. So this idea that, th that the coronavirus is going to have maybe a one, three, five-year impact in elements, as you're laying out in this report, could very well have a generational type impact. Exactly. You know, I, I would remind everybody if, if you if you go back to your time in school, if you if you missed out on algebra when it was taught in seventh grade, then you're going to be struggling in eighth grade. You're going to be struggling in ninth grade. That's going to be with you through college. And these losses are very difficult to make up without. I would say some massive policy intervention right now. 
you know, the longer we wait, uh, the more these kids are going to fall behind. It's going to be very difficult to catch somebody up when they've been behind for years. Uh, so we've, we've lost education for a lot of our children right now. Yeah. And uh, although some of it will be made up, the question is how much and what perhaps is being done or discussed in policy circles to try to address some of those things. Uh, you know, I don't know if that means that uh, we should be talking about a longer school year or, yeah. uh, you know, summer school or other policy elements that can be taken to try to make up some of this uh, learning loss. Uh, but I think ignoring it uh, is, uh, is potentially problematic for the children and for the economy. Right. And there, there's so many challenges in trying to kind of gain that back. You know, the idea of summer school, while, it, you know, it seems great at, uh, you know, on the face value, then you're talking about not just summer school as we know it traditionally, where you may have a few kids that have to take a class to make it up. You're talking about basically the entire school district, maybe, you know, maybe it is a, a shortened summer, you know, uh, in, in, and doing it that way. But it, it's a challenge from a structural standpoint for the school districts to kind of go down that route, especially when you're talking about the issue of funding and, and, and how funding is, is tight in a lot of these school districts. You're absolutely right. I, I am not claiming there's any easy solutions and, and I am, yeah. uh, and certainly Penn Wharton uh, are not proposing any specific policies. Uh, I'm, I'm merely saying that we are looking at a hole that, uh, that has been dug yeah. um, and we need to think about how to address it. Some of the things that you mentioned, including uh, the funding, uh, is is very important to think about. Uh, we know we're spending a lot of this money on uh, COVID stimulus, et cetera. Uh, are we spending enough on education measures? And as you know, as you said, it is this is not summer school as we know it. If we are going to expand the school year or expand summer school for almost everyone, that is going to come with significant. Uh, cost and I, I, as I said, I don't have uh, answers or policy proposals that I'm coming with, but I think these are things that need to be thought about. So, what's the next step in this process coming off of this research? What do you want to look at next? Um, so, what we'd like to do is to use our models that uh, we implement to, to forecast uh, and project what's going to happen uh, in the macro economy and take some of these, uh, these things that we've learned about the productivity losses to students and plug that into our model to see how we think the U.S. economy is going to evolve, how the productivity is going to change, how that's going to affect future GDP. Uh, we've started to do that uh, already, um, and uh, I think uh, hopefully in the next uh, several weeks or, or coming months uh, we'll have uh, that result as well, which... Uh, obviously is not going to be smiles and sunshine for anyone. <laughs> yeah, but it be, but it becomes very important uh, information as we move forward. Ephraim, thanks very much for your time. As always, uh, great work by uh, you and the folks at Penn Wharton Budget Model. Thank you very much. Thanks. Ephraim Berkovich, who is their Director of Computational Dynamics. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.